McMaster has over 210,000 alumni living in 140 countries around the world. Unconventional will introduce you to some of our alumni who are working to make our world a brighter place in their own unique way. Join me, Karen McQuig, Alumni Director at MAC, as we learn the moments that their path from MAC became unconventional. Kirsten Hess is an extraordinary individual whose journey through adversity and perseverance serves as an inspiring example of strength and determination. When Kristen began her university journey, she faced an unexpected and devastating loss, the passing of her father during her first year. This tragedy brought immense grief and a struggle with depression, making her academic path anything but easy. Despite the emotional turmoil she faced, Kirsten remained committed to her academic pursuits. During her third year, she embarked on an exchange program in France, a courageous step that further highlighted her commitment to personal growth and embracing new experiences. During her time in France, not only did she pursue a minor in French, but she also found love. Despite the challenges she faced and the multidisciplinary nature of her humanities degree, Kirsten's determination remained unshaken. Thanks to a military-based scholarship, she was able to continue her education and pursue her passion for interior design. This dedication ultimately led her to excel in a career as principal designer at HVK Interiors, a testament to her creative talents and professional expertise. All right, so you graduated from McMaster with your degree in communication studies, but that's not what you're doing today in your work. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what your day job is and maybe how your degree actually is very complimentary for what you're doing these days. Sure. So um, I am a designer my, and I run my own business. So my business is called HVK Interiors and um, I'm a residential designer. So I go into people's homes and, you know, help them with whatever renovations they might be doing. I do new builds. I do um, like anywhere from a little consultation where I'm helping people pick paint colors all the way up to, you know, a a new build construction of a home. So. And is that something you've always been interested in? So the reason I asked that question is, you know, we, we tend to ask um, our podcast participants, did you have a master plan coming into McMaster? Like you came in and said, okay, this is what I'm going to do when I'm done. Cause this is very different perhaps than your original plan, but maybe, maybe this was already always your plan. Yeah. It's funny because in my day-to-day life, I do feel like I'm quite the planner, but I actually did not have a plan. There was no master plan. And uh, the fact that I didn't have a plan was actually causing me a lot of anxiety. Um, I felt kind of like there was a lot of pressure being put on me, even, you know, at 16, 17 years old, where you always get the question of what are you going to do and what university are you going to go to? And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And um, I kind of had some ideas of some things that I liked. And uh, I actually ended up going to, I think it was like an open house that McMaster was holding in um, for humanities because I knew I liked the arts. And uh, I met one of the professors, uh, Alex Sivigny, Mm -hmm. and he was telling me about the communications program and it just sounded fascinating. And I had um, taken like an intro to sociology course in high school that I really enjoyed. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just try this sort of thing. And, and, you know, I'll see along the way, you know, what my major is going to be because, you know, in first year humanities, you, you can take 
quite a broad spectrum of, of courses, but um, I knew I liked French. I had been in French immersion in high school, so I decided to do that as a minor. But yeah, I just kind of didn't put a lot of thought into it. I just went for communications and I ended up really loving it. Um, but in terms of, you know, how did I end up in interior design? That kind of was a, a pivot that uh, as I was nearing the end of my undergrads for communications, you know, it, you get the question again, okay, so what's next? Where are you going? And again, I didn't really know. I didn't have a plan. And um, I was feeling like um, I needed to bridge the gap between theoretical and practical, that I felt I had a lot of theoretical knowledge from communications. And, you know, communications is such a multidisciplinary program that it was confusing because like it didn't lead me directly to a job, right? It's not like if you take engineering, you become an engineer. If you're studying nursing, you become a nurse. So it was like, okay, what do I do with this? And um, I did have a friend in the communications program who ended up taking kind of like a post-grad qualifier, right? Like she had uh, done a two-year course in PR after graduating. And I thought, you know, I think I need to do something like that. I need to qualify my knowledge. So um, that's what I ended up doing. I went to um, a college, essentially, and I got a three-year interior design diploma. And uh, then I was kind of thinking, you know, again, it's like the um, how do you bridge the gap now between communications and interior design? So I was sort of thinking while I was in interior design school, you know, maybe I can go the route of retail design, right? So designing stores, because I had a lot of theoretical knowledge of like branding and marketing and how are you conveying a brand's identity? How are you conveying that message? And I thought, well, maybe I can convey those messages through the built environment, right? Like extend a brand into your storefront or into the interior of your store and reinforce that branding image, right? So that was kind of the idea. But as you can see from what I said in the beginning, I'm not working in um, you know, retail design, I'm in residential. So, you know, sometimes things just don't follow the best laid plans, right? That different things happen and you end up somewhere else, which is okay. Absolutely. And that's not unusual for students who graduate from humanities or social sciences and sort of, you know, broad-based um, degrees that you take lots of different courses. I'm a history grad and I'm the alumni director, so there's no straight line from right. that to that, right? But, I, you know, I, I think you, you touched on a couple things that oftentimes when you're in those um, programs, people are always like, so what are you going to do next? And you don't always have the answer. So, mm -hmm. you know, how did you handle that? You talked a little about being, you know, like a little anxious and whatnot, but how did you start to maybe figure out what, what was the right path to take? Hmm. I think for me, I've always just tried to follow what I love, following what my passions are that, you know, as I was saying, I knew going into university, okay, I love French, so I definitely want to keep that in my life, but I knew I didn't want that to be my major because I knew I didn't want to be a French teacher. I didn't want to be doing translating, 
you know, that sort of thing. So I thought, okay, well, that can't be my main focus, but I know I want to keep that in my life, right? And then same thing with the communications. Okay, I really like that sociology course. I'm kind of interested in psychology and all that. Um, so let me see where that takes me. And I, I find it's like a, a path of discovery. And you had asked me, you know, is design something that you always knew that you loved? Well, yes and no, that it was not a career that was ever on my radar or my family's radar for that matter. Um, but now when I look back, it really makes sense that I've ended up here because I was the kind of kid who was uh, rearranging my bedroom all the time or, you know, creating order by like, it's so silly, but, you know, going through the linen closet and folding the towels nicely and, you know, making sure everything was in order. Um, and even like some people may remember the, you know, the Sims computer game where, you know, you get to build little worlds and houses and things like that. And I loved that game. So, you know, when I look back on it, it's like, okay, that interest was always there, but I just maybe didn't have the awareness of that career path. And so, you know, I was going to ask you if you were like a creative kid or did you do lots of creative yeah. stuff in university, right? Because I think that makes sense on the design and, and whatnot. But taking a leap to open your own business is a big risk. It is. And it, it and it takes, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you you know, you're the person who's responsible for, you know, making sure that, you know, you're successful and if you have people who work with you and, and all that. So how did you handle what's your, you know, your comfort level on risk? You know, what's your approach to risk? And, you know, how did how did your thought process go when you were making that decision of like, I think I want to do this, but I think I want to actually start my own design company. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I wouldn't consider myself a big risk taker. I would say I'm a thoughtful risk taker. I definitely consider things very thoroughly before I jump into something. I, I wouldn't say like I'm a spontaneous type of person. Um, but for me, it's, it's funny because it was kind of starting my own business. Um, the circumstances were thrust upon me a little bit because um, I had been working in the industry since when, 2013. And then it just so happened that um, you know, I'd had my first son in 2018, I was on maternity leave. And then when I was ready to start having discussions with my boss about returning to work, um, she let me know that in her company, she was, you know, going through some financial difficulties, and she didn't think she could bring me back. Mm. So I found myself with a baby and being unemployed. So that was quite shocking to me. And um, I was kind of like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do now? I was um, previously working in like closer to Toronto. And now I was living in Hamilton. And it's like, OK, there's not as many companies out this way. And so really the, the, the timing kind of made sense of it wasn't really on my radar of this is what I want to do. But then it, it really made sense. And since making that decision, I've been so happy with, um, you know, taking that plunge and taking that risk of starting my own business. It kind of was the, ended up being the perfect timing to take that risk. 
how do you balance? You've got a family and, you know, yes. you're a business owner. So how, how, what's your strategies on trying to be, you know, what's some like somewhat balanced in your life? Oh, that's always the hard question, right? And that's something I think there's a lot of discussion about, certainly um, with women nowadays of the, can you have it all? And I think that it's just like a daily struggle of how do you balance your work life, your personal life, spending time with your kids, having self-care, finding time for your friends. I don't have the perfect answer for it because I, I do think it's a struggle that, you know, maybe one day or really, or for a week, you're fully into your job. It's a busy week at work. And then you think, oh, you know, I didn't see my kids as much this week. And then the other times, you know, maybe things ease up and you have a bit more time. I think it's, you know, it's an ebb and flow and you really just have to try to do your best to try to do all the things. I don't have it figured out yet. I don't think anybody does. I mean, when yeah. I was growing up, it was like, oh, you can have it all. And I'm like, I'm not sure you can. So I think I, what I really admire about um, your generation of women is that I think you're the first to put your hands up and say, you know what, maybe we can't have it all, but we can have this, but we need to realize that we can't have it all. And how can we work towards having it all, which is a little bit different of just like, well, you can have it all. And then feeling guilty when you know, like, oh, sometimes you're not, you're not balanced in the way you should be. Yeah. I think you can have all the things in your life, but you can't be putting a hundred percent into all those things all the time. So that's why I said it's an ebb and flow that you know, maybe you're putting more energy into one thing at, at one particular time, and then you have to switch focus, right? So what year did you start your business? I started in 2019. So just before the world shut down. So yeah. let's talk about that. Like you're starting sure. a new business, you're taking a big risk, and then there's something that's totally out of your control that's changing sort of, yes. you know, everything in, everything in our lives. Um, and I know you know, for us, uh, you know, someone who runs their own business, that was probably pretty scary at the beginning and whatnot. And then maybe because of the design business you're in, you were inundated and you couldn't keep up because everybody had some time at home and realized, I think the bathroom needs to be fixed. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was going to say that, you know, I was fortunate enough to be in a sector that benefited um, from the pandemic that myself and contractors that I know and work with that everybody was was quite busy to that exact point of people are at home going, you know, staring at that, that kitchen that they wish they had fixed or that type of thing. And I think also um, people who are hiring a designer, uh, you know, are in a certain, how do you say that, um, you know, financial situation that they're maybe not necessarily as affected financially by some of the things that were going on in the pandemic. So, you know, they were kind of more like, okay, well, we have all this money that we would have maybe spent on vacations and we can't go anywhere. So it was almost like, oh, well, you know, why not put it into the house instead? Right. So I was fortunate enough that it was kind of the opposite problem. And were you able to, right? Yeah. And were you able to manage that? Like, was it because everybody wanted something done, it seemed at certain time periods. So how did you, how did you manage that? Um, well, again, I was very new in, in running my own business. So really, you know, I was just starting to, um, you know, 
create my clientele and reach out and network. So it wasn't like I was inundated with requests to the point where I couldn't keep up. Like, I think it's been um, a nice steady growth that I've seen each year of building up that clientele and more and more projects. So yeah, I mean, in 2020, it wasn't really like, oh my gosh, I can't keep up with this. It was, but it was nice that it wasn't like, oh, I'm, you know, knocking on doors to try to find projects, right? Is there a particular area of the house or project you love to design for? Hmm. Um, well, I work on a lot of renovations, right? So it really is the big picture. And what I love doing is helping my clients create that overarching concept for their house, because sometimes um, it can feel quite overwhelming for, for clients that are looking at um, redoing many spaces at once. It's like, how do you create that cohesive look within your space instead of it, you know, maybe feeling piecemeal or things are not working together? You need to have that overarching concept. So I find that really rewarding. Um, and that is like the creativity that we, we talked about of, of having that vision for my clients' homes. So let's go back to sort of your time at Mac and you had a pretty challenging experience that happened to you in your, in your first year, which caused, you know, you to take a little time and, and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as much as you want to share with, with us today, but you know, I, I'd be interested to see that what were your strategies or how did you manage um, something that was terrible that happened in your life and you still had school in your life and, and managing that. Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad that you asked me about this because um, I'm really at the point in my life and in my journey of, of grief that I am really ready to speak about it. And I think, um, so just for context, what happened to me is that in the summer between first and second year university, my dad passed away very tragically and suddenly. I was only 18 years old. And so like that really sent me reeling. And, um, you know, this happened like 17 years ago. And at that time, you know, grief and mental health really was not talked about the way that it is now. I mean, I know we can, we have a lot further to go, but you know, like the bell, let's talk day or like that was not on the radar at all. There was a lot of stigma and a lot of taboo around uh, mental health struggles. So I didn't really even recognize what it is that I was going through because nobody talked about it. Mm -hmm. so I felt a lot of shame and was really hard on myself for the struggles that I was experiencing. And I think like more than anything, where we, I would like the conversation to push more into like in society, I think is talking more about grief because we are, I think we are getting there for like mental health struggles, but I don't think we talk about grief enough because it's so uncomfortable, right? Like what does long-term grief actually look like? Mm -hmm. And what does that entail? Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's a very valid point because you, you think about, you know, I think about the losses that I've had in my life and, you know, someone talks about, said to me, you know, like the seven stages of grief. I'm like, okay, well, what are they? And then you kind of go through, it's like, oh yeah, I, I had all of that, but we didn't, you don't talk about it till you're actually in the middle of it. And at that time you're, 
your mind's not quite ready to grasp it all that you're going to have these emotions. And if you lose someone important to you, it never goes away. And I don't think people talk about it, right? Your life is different after that. And it's, there's certainly great things that happen, but it's just not the same when you, when you lose someone you that's very close to you. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's great. People are starting to feel a little bit more comfortable about talking about that. And that's probably maybe where, as you said, you're, you're ready to talk about that and share your story. Yeah. And so for me, as it relates to my experience at McMaster, it was definitely difficult that I think, you know, typically, like if we look at the the cliche experience that everyone would love to have at university, it's that, you know, you're leaving the comfortable, secure nest of your parents' home and you're the little bird going out to university and, uh, you know, trying new things, exploring, seeing what you like, what you don't like, making mistakes. It's kind of like self-discovery, that type of thing. And I think that the fact that I was so bogged down by these intense feelings of grief, it was like, I got bigger fish to fry, right? I didn't, um, I didn't really have that space to, to have that self-discovery or that type of thing it was really like I need to make it through the day (laughs) I need to uh you know finish my schoolwork and and that enough was like a struggle enough in of itself right so it was difficult so you did a some I would assume just a semester abroad in France or did you do a whole year I did did a year do you think that was I mean did you always want to do that or do you think that was part of your you know, as you, you know, got comfortable with your grief or you needed somewhere else to go? Do you think that was part and parcel or it was just always you knew you wanted to go abroad for a year? Well, I loved French and I was doing a minor in French at university. And I had actually done a two-week exchange in high school to France and it felt like it was just a taste, like it wasn't enough. So it, it was actually something that I wanted to do and I was kind of feeling like I'm not going to let my grief stop me from doing this so I really powered through my courses in the second year to make that happen because you had to have completed two years of school to go on it but you know after I came back I did realize that it did serve as some escapism from my reality that it was it was kind of nice to get away from all that and i did when i did come back after the year i fell pretty hard of like oh okay yeah this reality of of grief is still here and now you really need to do the work right the grief work cuz i'd been running away from it for 2 years yeah So if you were talking to a student who is, you know, in the middle of their second year and they're sort of thinking about maybe I want to do an exchange, Mm -hmm. how would you tell that? Like, why would you, what would you say to them to say like, oh, you got to do this, like just pick a country and go like, what what would be your, your sales pitch for that? Oh, okay. Well, first I would say it's not for everybody, right? Because, you know, it's intense to go to another country, especially I mean, if you're going to like Australia or England or, you know, Scotland or something where they're speaking the same language as you there, that's definitely easier, right? But if you're doing it because you have been studying another language, then 
you know, it's a challenge, but it's a really fun challenge if you're up for it. And I think it's a really great way to meet new people. I met loads of international students. Um, so it really broadened my horizons in terms of meeting people from all around the world. And it acted as a great hub for me to go out and, and travel to other cities and other countries when I had school breaks. So it really opened up the world to me. Yeah, being, it, was, it was like the best year of my life. So it was yeah. Great. Well, I mean, I mean, the beauty of being over in Europe, like you can just hop on a cheap little air or take a train and you're in like, you know, a, a country in like a matter of just a short period of time. Yeah. Everything's so close, which has made it a lot easier too. Yeah. So do you travel now? Like, are you able to, are you too tied to the business to, to get out and explore the world? Well, I have a four-year-old and an 18-month-old, so that makes travel okay. a little bit difficult. But I would yeah. say definitely, you know, before kiddos, my husband and I liked liked to travel and do trips and things like that. But, you know, when they get a little bit older, then, you know, we can leave them with grandma and maybe go do that again. Yeah, that's good. Um, is there a piece of advice you wish you knew when you were graduating? Um, in terms of... Well, if you, okay, so let's say you're you're standing at, at convocation and you're going to walk across the stage and Kirsten 2023 comes in and gives a piece of advice. Mm -hmm. What do you think it would be? Well, if I were giving advice to myself at graduation, I would say, um, don't worry, you don't have to have everything figured out at 21 years old, that, you know, life is a journey. And you'll have, you know, bumps along the way, but, um, you know, so long as you're following your path of pursuing what it is that you love, following that passion, then, you know, you're going to end up where you need to be in the end. So we talked a little bit about work-life balance and how to do that with a busy, you know, job and family. Um, so what do you like to do outside of work hours? Well, I recently rediscovered my love for theater. So I did a lot of that um, in high school and uh, I actually just participated in uh, my, my high school was having a 100 year anniversary. So there was like a nostalgia show, um, which I participated in, which was so much fun. And I reconnected with, you know, some, some old high school theater friends. And so, you know, that's something that I'm, I'm really wanting to get back into because it really sparked a lot of joy doing that. Excellent. So what's next for you? Like, where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, that's always the, you know, like the interview question, where do you see yourself in, in five years? Well, um, like I had mentioned, I have small children, right? Like a four-year-old and an 18-month-old. So um, in five years, my younger one will be at school full-time. So I'll have both of them, you know, in school every day. And I feel like that's kind of, you know, a benchmark that, you know, as, um, as a person running my own business, I do have the flexibility that, you know, like I take, I don't work on Wednesdays. I have my younger son home with me. I have like that flexibility for pickups and which I really love, you know, spending the, the time with my kids, but I do feel like, you know, once they're both in school full-time that maybe I can uh, shift a little bit more energy towards my business. And I'd really like to see, um, 
growth in terms of like building out my team because right now it's just me working um, in my business and I've kind of, I've already been thinking about it. So I don't know if it's going to happen next year or, but I'm sure within the next five years that I'll start, start building out a team, I think. And do you have a mentor? Like if you someone that you talk to about these sort of, you know, when's the right time to expand the business when it's not, or just curious? Yeah, well, um, I, I call my husband my uh, free business coach because oh, he's, <laughs> he's that's good to business, have. Yeah, <laughs> he's in the business world. And um, so he's very savvy in that regard. So I'm very lucky to have that. I, you know, uh, we're both very interested in it. So, you know, sometimes um, in the evenings on a glass, you know, with a glass of wine, we're talking about business strategy and stuff like that, which is incredibly nerdy, but we both like it and it's fun. And then I also, um, one of the companies that I worked for previously before having my own um, business, um, she was kind of in a very similar situation that I, that I am in now where, she, you know, she's a mom and has a small design business. And, you know, I really learned a lot from her and really consider her my mentor. So on that side of like, actually the design world, I really look towards her as, as a mentor. Yeah, and I think it's important that you have people that you can talk to and you know bounce ideas off of, right? Like it's yeah, sure. you know it's very important. Um, as we sort of wrap up our time together, let's go back to your time at McMaster. And do you have a favorite memory of your time at McMaster? Something that stands out for you? Well, I did really love just doing research in the library. It was kind of um, felt like a treasure hunt for me, like when I would be working on an essay and, and having to find books um, that related to that essay, it really did feel like a treasure hunt of looking up the books and then going and finding them. Oh, I have to go to the fourth floor to find that book. And then I'm looking and I don't know I, that I have fond memories of doing that. But um, I think like on the social side, I was very active in um synchronized swimming I was on the synchronized swimming okay yep. McMaster for the whole time that I was there and and that you know created a lot of memories with a great group of girls and you know going to competitions in Montreal and things like that so that was that was really nice oh excellent um you're a pretty busy person so are you are you do you have a book you'd recommend people to read or is are you, what are you reading now would you share with us yeah um Let's see, I have, it, I have it written down here. So um, I just finished a book called The Family Upstairs. It's by Lisa Jewell. And um, it was really great because it's a mystery, kind of like murder mystery page turner. So it's perfect for the summertime, like you're on a beach or on vacation. It's an easy book to read, but it's it's gripping. So that's kind of the best one that I've read recently. Well, that's good. We could use those kind of books in the summertime. That's for sure. Yeah. And then finally, what's your idea of perfect happiness? Ooh, that's a big question. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to think of like, what does that mean? Perfect happiness. I think it's like, you can't achieve a constant state of perfect happiness, right? That life goes up and down of sad moments and happy moments. And I think what's most important is being 
present enough in your life to recognize when you are living and experiencing the perfect happiness moments, right? Because I think that's always the struggle nowadays of, um, you know, we're all stressed, we're all distracted. Technology can be incredibly distracting. And I think, yeah, that's like the, the number one exercise is to be present in your life and go, oh my goodness, I'm so happy in this moment. It's all those moments of joy, right? That's a good way to put it. It's finding yeah. those moments of joy. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a really interesting conversation of your your journey um, after McMaster and and the things that you've accomplished and the experiences that you've had. And, you know, I really want to thank you for sharing that with us uh, today, your story. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.